Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. Welcome to Chaplain Stories. I am Chaplain McCary, and I am here with a very special guest, uh, someone who I have gotten to know over about the last eight months in my current job, uh, Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Primitivo Davis, and he has been such a big help to me as I've been trying to learn the ropes in this job, and just a fount of wisdom, if I do say so. And so I thought, man, I got to get him on the podcast as soon as possible. I'm sorry that it took eight months to get you on the podcast, sir. But why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, um, your job, because you've got kind of an interesting job, and we'll go from there. Okay, good. So first, kudos to you for getting my name right. Most people um, mess, mess that up. It has been messed up since my kindergarten graduation, so I am scarred. Oh, good. I'm glad life. we started off on the right foot, because I would hate to have to go back and edit right from the very beginning. Yes, yeah, so it is Primitivo. Um, you'll hear many nicknames uh, throughout our, our core, but I prefer my first full name that my mama gave me, which is Primitivo. Uh, my current position is uh, it's a it's a dual position. I'm the XO for the Deputy Chief of Chaplains for the Army, and I'm also, if you look at my signature block, it just says transformation. I probably should flesh that out more as I'm the primary tr- primary transformation action officer for the chaplain corps. So transformation is uh, an initiative by our chief of chaplains. Our deputy chief of chaplains is considered the lead for transformation in the Army. And as the deputy's XO, I also carry the hat of being the transformation action officer um, for his lead role in transformation. So, sir, we have a lot of folks who listen to this podcast, um, chaplain candidates, chaplains, UMTs, family members. They're going to hear transformation, and they're going to go, what are you talking about? Transformation in the chaplain corps? What, what does that mean? What's changing in the chaplain corps? So if you are, you know, you've kind of been neck deep in transformation for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you explain that to somebody who's who's hearing about it for the first time or trying to wrap their head around it? Great. So so this is the way I normally explain it. The simple versions, it, it is actually uh, somewhat complex, but the simple version is this. Our chief of chaplains, Um, I don't know if he would describe it this way, but this is the way I describe it. He woke up one morning, and he said he asked himself a question, which he then posed to the core. And the question that he asked was, how relevant, how timely is religious support being delivered to the Army? Right? Basically, you know, let's let's take a look at ourselves, and let's see how, how good we're doing, where some growth areas might be, and then once we identify those those growth areas, Let's, let's address them. That is really what transformation is. It, it is a process, um, as I said, uh, initiated by the chief, led by the deputy, which wants us to take a hard look at everything we do, everything we do as a core, uh, every vehicle means we use to deliver religious support, how we govern ourselves, how we, you know, for example, how we assign our chaplains, how we, how we structure our institutions, how we structure operational units. I mean, really, no stone is left unturned. Um, let's look at it. Let's see how we can get better. 
And so out of that process and out of that question, which came from the mind of our chief, Chaplain Soldrum, um, we began to find answers. Here's some things we could do better. Here's some things that um, might need to be adjusted in 2022 as opposed to how we did it in 1992 or 2002. So that's really what transformation is. Um, I, we'd be here all day to get into the specifics of it, um, but, but, but basically it answers that question. Well, good. I, I appreciate that, sir. So how long have you been a chaplain? So I um, first, I became a chaplain candidate in 2001. Um, that was purposeful. Most chaplain candidates um, and I stayed a chaplain candidate until I came active duty in 2003. Although I had the pastoral experience and I was complete um, with seminary, uh, I wanted to make sure I knew what Army chaplaincy was about and make sure it was a good fit for me. So I stayed in the chaplain candidate program up until the point that my wife and I and God felt like this was the direction we should go. So I came active duty in 2003, just before the invasion into Iraq, and I literally came on active duty reported to Fort Campbell, and went to Iraq. That's, uh, With a that, pregnant wife. That Wow. So I, I, I got to ask, so how did your wife handle that? So um, we were pretty committed. We were and are pretty committed to the Army mission. Um, and like I said, we, we, we took a while to make the commitment to, be, to come active duty. And so when we made that commitment, we knew what we were signing up for. Now, couple things we didn't know. We didn't know that the war in Iraq was going to happen. And we also didn't know that my wife was going to be pregnant with my first child. Right. So those two things just kind of came. But but we had planned in our commitment to the Army that war is always a possibility. Mm -hmm. And we were young in our marriage. So obviously, children were also a possibility. It just so happened that Providence would have it happen to us at the same time. So we came active duty, pregnant with our first child, went to war, all within a 30-day period. Um, so, yeah, we were good with it because we were committed to it. Not to say it was not without its challenges, yeah. but um, we, we, had, um, we, had, we had forecasted the possibility of something like that, and it, it came true. So tell me about the story that brought you into the chaplaincy. What uh, put the chaplaincy onto your radar and caused you to start to pursue this vocation? Good. So... Um, Prior to becoming a uh, chaplain, uh, I served the, the Christian community, the worldwide Christian community, as a missionary. That was really my first um, contribution to, uh, to, to any type of uh, official ministry. I was a missionary in the Republic of China in Taiwan for two years, um, and it was part of that process where I got my call to ministry which for me is bigger and broader than my call to the chaplaincy, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I felt called to the ministry um, through the mission field, and when I returned, that's when I switched my studies to ministerial theology. Um, but my call was, for me personally, my call was always to ministry. Um, in the very beginning, I did not feel called necessarily to be a pastor or a teacher or evangelist or a chaplain. The only thing I knew was that God had called me to devote my life to help others in some form of ministry. And if I'm honest, I probably knew that it was going to be some type of unconventional ministry, but I just didn't know what that was. So I went to the mission field. I came back. I did my theological uh, studies. I was pursuing the, the path of your normal pastor, um, and that's what I did. Uh, I went to seminary, and then, um, like many people would say, their army journey began with a recruiter. Um, and so what happened was at the seminary I was at, they had 
all the branches recruiting stations. And I had never heard of a chaplain before. Maybe I had saw one in a movie, but I had no real concept of a military chaplain or what they did. And so I just, out of curiosity, I just went down the line of the recruiters. I talked to every one of them. And so I talked to the Air Force guy, and nothing sparked. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. And then I talked to the Navy guy, and nothing really moved me. And then I got to the Army guy, and I don't know if he was just a great recruiter or if he sized me up or all of the above, but he went right into this spill, which just hit a spark in me. And he started to talk about unit ministry and every unit has a chaplain. And now that I think about it, I'm sure this is some recruiting spill that he's been taught to give, but he did it really good. Um, and then he started talking about like airborne and jumping out of airplanes. And I was like, oh man, that sounds cool. And then he, he started talking about, um, you know, special operations chaplains and, you know, and, and it was just, I don't know, it just resonated with me. And so it wasn't a like on the spot commitment, but it was just something that just kind of took lodge in the back of my psyche. Um, and I had a very instrumental professor who was a retired Air Force chaplain, a great man, great professor. And he spoke very highly of chaplaincy in general, military or otherwise. And so the combination of the recruiter, uh, that particular professor, it just sparked an interest in me, and that's where I started to explore a possible call in that direction. So uh, were you married at that time yet? So I was married, yes. So as, as you're starting to think about the, the chaplaincy and that that may be the direction that your calling is leading, uh, what, is your, what does your wife think about that as you're talking to her about, hey, chaplaincy is looking pretty good right now? Yeah, so, so my wife... Um, as probably with most spouses, knows me better than, than most. And I've really never asked her this question, but I would imagine that she would say um, she always knew that I don't do things the normal way my whole life, anything I touch. I just don't do it the normal way. Um, I like to put my own stamp on things. I like unique things. I like different things. Um, for lack of a better phrase, I like to think outside the box. So it was not a surprise to her as we, we committed our life to ministry. It, it would not be a surprise to her that I would choose a form of ministry that is different than the normal pastor, pastoral kind of role. So I, I, don't think she, I don't think she was surprised at all. Um, and she has often mentioned to me since, uh, since kind of an affirmation of my calling that the chaplaincy is where is right where I should be. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So you you mentioned earlier that you came on to active duty um, just before the invasion of Iraq, uh, and it, it's always so interesting to me to to hear that. Um, I was in basic training when the invasion of Iraq started, mm -hmm. um, and the drill sergeants piped in audio of the invasion over the the barracks loudspeakers. And uh, I think that was when, uh, when things got real for mm -hmm. a lot of us, mm -hmm. you know, as real as it can be listening to it. But I think all of us kind of had the, we, we all enlisted post 9-11, we all kind of knew what we were signing up for, but then all of a sudden you hear this audio uh, of, of what's happening on the other side of the world, and that so many of my peers that I graduated basic training with were going straight to units and going straight to Iraq. Mm -hmm. So what was that first unit that you deployed with, sir? So that was um, the 101st Airborne Air Assault. That was the division. Uh, I was first assigned to 
6101 Aviation, and then later transferred over to the 1st 502nd Infantry. All right, so I want to transition here and just kind of hear some of your personal experiences uh, over your time as a chaplain. So as you think back, what has been the most physically challenging thing that you have experienced as a chaplain? So that's a, that's a funny question, right? So if you were to pull up my ORB and, and, and ask that question without me answering, most people would point to a, a few things to say, those obviously were probably the most demanding physically, right? Most people would look at my schooling. Mm-hmm. So they would say, oh, he went to airborne school. He went to air assault school. He went to jump master school. He went to pathfinder school. He was deployed four times, right? So obviously, it, and those were all physically taxing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but ironically for me, I would not describe them as my, my biggest physical challenge. My biggest physical challenge, I would say, has been maintaining a high level of physical fitness over a 20-year career. And I wish somebody would have asked me this question or gave me some advice in the beginning, right? So when I came in, um, I was in great shape, not because of the Army, but because of just my lifestyle outside of the Army. And you were how old when you came on? I was 27 years old. 27. Yeah. So when I came in, I was 27. I was probably in the prime of my physical shape. And so... Um, there was not anything that I went to in the Army in those first three, four, five years that I felt was physically demanding because, praise the Lord, I was already at that level, right? Um, so, so I did all those things. But what I learned over time um, after miles and miles and miles and miles of ruck marches and miles and miles and miles of running on um, concrete and pavement and jumping out of airplanes and falling to the ground was that if I was going to maintain the same level of physical fitness, then I would have to be very intentional about it. And what I learned is if you take your foot off the gas in terms of your physical fitness, it's much harder to get back to where you were, right? So I would say my most physically demanding challenge has been coming up with a routine that um, allows me to maintain my high level high level of physical fitness but that is tailored to the fact that you actually grow older and your body actually changes. Mm. So that's that's where I'm at now. I still think I'm in pretty decent shape. Um, but when I first came in, I was in phenomenal shape. And there are many people who, who, who maintain that for 20, 30 years. I shouldn't say many. There are some people who can maintain that for 20, 30 years. But what I've learned is it, it requires a level of intentionality. Uh, and it's not just in the weight room. And, and in cardio, but it's also in diet, it's also in rest, stress has to deal, uh, there are a lot of things that go into maintaining a, a, a good level of physical fitness. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I think that sometimes we we lose sight of that, the long-term aspect of fitness, especially uh, chaplains, we tend to come in a little older. At 27, you are on the very young side of a chaplain coming on active duty, but you go walk across the courtyard to the Chibolic classroom, and you got people first time coming into the army. Some of them in the in the guard and reserve, but they're in their forties, pushing fifty years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. And so that that stewardship of your physical fitness over the long term that's uh, that's fantastic, sir. I appreciate you sharing that. So I want to ask you also, uh, as chaplains, uh, we naturally and hopefully have a very heavy emphasis on on the spiritual aspect of our lives. Um, what has been the most spiritually challenging thing that you've experienced as a chaplain? The most spiritually challenging thing. So uh, 
not sure how this answers the question, but but it is it is the thing that comes to mind when you when you when you ask the question. So, and I I think it I think it does answer the question because I had to call on all that I have in my uh, spiritual kit bag in order to make it through this uh, this event. But I found myself in one particular assignment, um, caught in between the the two prominent leaders in in that unit in that assignment. And one of them I would describe as uh, a pretty pretty good leader, and the other one um, I would describe as what the army has used over the years as toxic. And I don't use, I don't actually like to use the word toxic. I think it's overused in many ways and sometimes misused. So you won't hear me use that a lot. Um, but when I read the army's de- de- uh, definition for toxic, this particular leader checks all the boxes, right? And so it was a very precarious situation because of the personalities involved. The personalities of the the toxic leader, the personality of the good leader, and then my personality. And when you mix all them together, it just was a very difficult, it was a very difficult time. And my job as a chaplain, as you well know, was to advise that good leader. Um, but I also needed to care for the toxic leader. And at the end of the day, I needed to care for the troops. And so it was very arduous. Um, and if I'm honest, I, I can't give myself an A uh, in, in how I handled that situation. I'd be hard-pressed to give myself even a B plus um, as I've looked back over it over the years. But it was very spiritually taxing because I didn't feel like I had any right answers. Um, uh, and then sometimes when I did things, I, I, in retrospect, I didn't feel like it was the right answer. So when I act, when I acted, I, uh, sometimes I went, man, maybe I shouldn't have acted. When I chose not to act, then I said to myself, man, I think I should have acted. Um, the way I spoke, when I spoke, how I spoke. So it really took, um, you know, I had to have some pretty tough conversations with God. Um, and I really had to say, all right, God, uh, this, one, this one is beyond me. Uh, I just, I just, I can't, uh, I don't have any answers. Um, and so God helped me through it. Um, I have not gone back and talked to the other two leaders since then. So I don't know how they felt about my contribution to it and if I helped or if I heard it. But that was probably one of the most um, difficult spiritual times for me. It, uh, it even took me to the point where I had to literally step away. Um, uh, and it, this was in combat, so that, that adds to the stress of it. Um, and I actually had to take some time, uh, as much of a sabbatical as you can take in combat. But literally I took a few days and I just, just kind of pulled away and just talked to God recouped and then got back in the fight. So that's probably my most taxing spiritual uh, moment. And if I, if I had a close second, it would be that second tour in Iraq with the 101st. Uh, we took a lot of casualties. I did a lot of memorials. Um, that was taxing in a different way. Um, but those, those are probably my, my most spiritual taxing, draining moments in the last 20 years. How do you prepare for something like that? Can you prepare for it, or is it just kind of in the moment? Um, you you're just acting on on your training, your experience, your faith. H- how do you prepare for those moments where, especially where you're encountering tension uh, between two leaders? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think um, I think it's two things to help you prepare. 
I think the first is in both those instances that I described to you or mentioned to you, I had to call on the reserves of my spiritual reservoir and almost to the point of depletion. And so I think one of the ways in which you prepare is your reservoir has to be full before the event hits you. And you never know when the event is coming. The, the events I described to you both were in combat, but they could have very well helped in the, happened in garrison, right? So, so you never know when you're going to need to call on the spiritual resources you have in reserve. So you need to stay plussed up in that area, no matter what you think is or isn't coming. So that'd be the first thing that I would say. And then the second thing that I think the way you prepare is simply this. I think the Army does a good job of helping us prepare for what has traditionally faced us as Army leaders in history. And so they give us lots of training. They give us lots of doctrine. They give us things to study, to prepare, to you know put in our mind um, so that we're ready. But just like the riflemen on the ground, training scenarios and actual scenarios are very different. But you still need that. You still need that um, that preparedness of how to pro- uh, in, in terms of preparation. So I think for me as a chaplain, I have that science. I would call that the science of it. What does a chaplain do given X? What should a chaplain do given Y? You need some of that, right? And then with that, you need the art of it. Okay, so that's the book answer. That's what they teach you at the chaplain school. That's what your chaplain senior leaders have taught you. Now you're in the fight, right? Now you're in the moment. Are you flexible and agile enough now to apply the principles you've been taught in that situation? So I think for me that that has been my mantra of preparation um, have my spiritual reservoir high, know what I'm supposed to do, and then be flexible enough to adjust that on the fly. Oh, that's good, sir. And and uh, I can tell that this is something that you've also reflected on over the years, and that's a, a crucial thing as well, to be able to look back and reflect on those things and to learn from our own experiences. Absolutely. So, sir, as you look back over your over your career, what would you say has been your toughest day or event in the chaplaincy? Toughest day or event was probably, so I'm not sure if you're familiar, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about this, but there's a book called Black Hearts, and that that chronicles my second tour in Iraq the whole year, um, and it was, a, it was a pretty arduous year. Um, we had uh, a very high number of casualties. We lost we lost a soldier. It averaged out to be we lost a soldier every 17 days for 12 months in a row. Um, some of those were multiple, you know, so we might have lost more than one at a time, but that's what it averaged out to be. Um, and then some of those deaths were um, um, were horrific casualties of war, and it's been documented. Um, and that was tough. Uh, it was a tough time. Um, I had been in that unit three years prior to the fourth year where we deployed, and I had already done a year in combat with them. So I literally had, I had, uh, there were people who in that unit who I married, who I had blessed their children, who I had uh, done house blessings when they bought a new home. So, you know, typically you don't spend four years in a unit as a, as a brand new uh, chaplain captain. But because of the war and stop loss, it wound up being there. I was in there four years. Two of those years were in combat, and two of those years were in garrison. So to lose a soldier at any time is rough. Uh, to lose a soldier that you are assigned to care for, to nurture, honor, care, is rougher. But to lose soldiers that you have known for three years and been intimate in their life, 
that's a whole nother, um, a whole nother level. So that entire deployment was probably the roughest event. So I'm, I'm talking about a 12 month event, but it was a pretty, a pretty rough time. So how, how do you sustain yourself and your soul through that? Because I mean, you talked about your spiritual reserves and throughout, uh, Throughout that whole experience, people are coming to you, and events are drawing on your spiritual reserves. How do you sustain yourself and your soul throughout that so that you can continue to, to function and care for those in your unit? Yeah, so there was one prevailing thought that I had for that entire year, um, and it was um, two words, light and darkness. This comes from a particular text in the Bible. Um and calling, right? So I believed and still believe that God called me as a chaplain and calls all chaplains into the army to assist in the fighting and the winning of the nation's wars. And so if we do anything, we are combat multipliers on the battlefield in war. And so every day what I told myself is, no matter how bad today gets, this is why I'm here. This is my purpose. So if I'm not here for my purpose, then why am I here? And that really kept me going, no matter how bad the day got. And, and, to, and to pull on the light and darkness, you know, there's a, a theme all throughout the Bible which, which basically conveys that um, light, light is important or, it, or it's even more important amongst a lot of darkness. And so when I saw the darkness of combat and the death and the dying, um, I said, hey, so my little light, whatever that is, it's real important now. The darker we get, the more important my little light is. And so that is really what kept me going. That mantra, that theme, uh, that calling, that purpose, I just said it to myself every day, and, uh, and it got me through. Thank you, sir. So what would you say was your most rewarding day or event in the chaplaincy? Okay, so my most rewarding um, day or event was the end of my first job as a chaplain supervisor. Uh, I had... Now, when you say chaplain supervisor, that's you were a brigade chaplain? Correct. I was a, a BCT chaplain, brigade combat team chaplain, um, and, and, and we did a year-long deployment uh, to Afghanistan. Uh, at the end, I had very high expectations of myself in terms of how I wanted to serve battalion chaplains. There were things that I, I wanted to do, and it all comes down to getting them what they need and, in some cases, what they want. Uh, I had a senior chaplain very early on in my career who asked battalion chaplains, he was the senior leader of the formation, and he said, hey, what do you, what do you want to do in your career? Like, what do you want to do? And people said stuff like, hey, I, you know, I'd like to be a resource manager or I'd like to be an airborne chaplain or I'd like to be a soft chaplain. People just kind of shared what they wanted. And then he committed to helping people get it. Um, either either making a phone call or making a connection to make it happen, or if they weren't ready, right, um, developing them so they could achieve that goal was very uh, instrumental in terms of an example of a good senior leader for me. And so I took that, that which was demonstrated to me, and I said, that's what I'm going to do the first opportunity I get to supervise chaplains. So that was half of my expectations. The other half of my expectation was, all the things that I thought were demonstrated to me that were not good senior leadership. And I said, I'm not going to do any of that. And so that was kind of how I came up with my plan. And then what, 
what I'm most proud of or most happy about or felt most good, uh, felt the best about was at the end of our time together, every assignment that those battalion chaplains wanted, they got. And I had to leverage, sometimes I had to go to the division chaplain and then to the senior chaplain. There are many ways in which we got that done. Um, and in one case, someone asked for an assignment early on, and I had to tell them, hey, I, I don't think you're ready for that assignment. And so we went on a journey of how to get ready, and they got ready. And then they were awarded the assignment. And that's less to do with me. I just kind of got the ball rolling, but they did the hard work, and then the chaplain called recognized that and then put them where their giftedness and their skills could be best utilized. So that's probably, as I look back on that, I feel really happy about that. I don't think I was a perfect supervisory chaplain, but I, I, I'm happy with that. I'm happy that we were able to, you know, get the right people in the right places for the right reasons and really get people where they wanted to be because I am of the belief that if people are serving where they want to be, they will serve better. You, you can't always make that happen. Sometimes we have to go where we don't want to be. I didn't want to go to Iraq, to be quite honest, or Afghanistan four times uh, to both, but that's where I needed to be. So, but but when we can give people what they want to be, I think it's a good idea to try. So that'd be one of my most fulfilling uh, moments, events. So, sir, uh, what advice would you give to uh, a, a chaplain who is desiring to or maybe about to uh, take on a supervisory position? What what lessons did you learn that you want to, would want to relay to someone who's getting ready to step into that role? Mm, that's a big one. So uh, that could be an entire entire podcast. <laughs> so but but what I would say is is a few things. So I would go back to what I just said. We've all had experiences that um in terms of senior leadership that we just didn't feel scratched us where we itched, right? I think that's a great barometer or a great platform by which you can say, "Okay, I don't I don't really think that worked for me. I don't really think that works for many." So I'm going to do the opposite of that, right? So you can learn from any leadership um um, laboratory, right? Good or bad. So, so I would say that. Um, I would say again to emulate the good things you've seen. Um, I would say for a supervisory chaplain, don't forget when you were the supervised, right? So it's so easy when you're in the moment to have grievance or complaints, but then when the, the coin flips, sometimes you forget what it was like. So I would tell a supervisory chaplain to um, to not forget what it was like to be those that you're supervising. Um, and I think a supervisor's job is as much as possible to make the supervised job as easy as possible. And that probably comes in the form of resources. Right? Most most chaplains I meet, more than more the majority of chaplains I meet are pretty competent at doing what a chaplain needs to do. So they don't really need me to teach them how to do religious support maybe in some small ways, but what they really need is resources, right? Because they want to deliver religious support in a certain way, and they sometimes need money, they sometimes need equipment, they sometimes need um, uh, 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 over overhead, um, sometimes they make mistakes, then they need forgiveness, um, what have you. So those are, those are a, a few of the things that um, that I would mention. Like I said, that'd be a, total, a whole po- podcast. But well, I appreciate that, sir. Uh, so as you look back now on, um, you know, almost two decades Mm -hmm. of being a chaplain on active duty. What have you loved most about wearing the uniform and serving as a chaplain? So there are many things. Um, If I had to narrow it down, what I love most, 
I love the ecumenicism of the chaplaincy. I love that my colleagues are priests, Buddhist monks, um, imams, and then um, folks from all over the Christian denominational spectrum. Um, that is phenomenal. And although when I was a, a civilian pastor in this in in this in Philadelphia, I, I had neighboring um, clerics, colleagues, but not in the same proximity and interaction that I do in the army. Right? I deal with um, folks in an ecumenical environment every day, multiple times a day, and it has just made me better, made me smarter, made me more loving, kind, and accepting, less judgmental, and it has really deepened my own relationship with God. Um, because in my opinion, when you are exposed to elements of people's worldview that you normally would not, hopefully it makes you reflect on your own worldview. And I have learned that I don't think I've met anyone in the chaplaincy whose worldview I can't take something from. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think there's one person I've met um, that, that that's not a true statement. So I love the, um, the ecumenicism of it. Um, I also love that the, in my opinion, the chaplaincy requires us to focus on the big things of faith and not the small things of faith. Um, you know, for example, like a universal, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of a universal principle. That's the wording of, of the Christian Bible. But if you go to any religion, you will find, if not that exact phrase, pretty close, right? And so within the chaplaincy, we focus on things like that, the broader, bigger picture. So, so I like that as opposed to maybe some of the smaller things that um, in, in the church that we might focus on, some of the more local um, idiosyncrasies. Um, so, so I like the big picture of religious support uh, in the chaplaincy, love the ecumenicism, and I love, I love the combination of being a professional cleric and being a military leader. Um, and, and essentially that is what makes a chaplain, right? You, you combine your clerical skills and calling with the requirement to be a military officer. And I love the Army. I was, I've been a fan of the military since long before I was a preacher. Um, and so I love to put on my uniform. I love to scream and holler and jump over obstacles and go for runs uh, and, you know, jump out of airplanes. It's fun. Um, and so I think that's part of the calling, right? I, I, if you don't think that kind of stuff is fun, man, you're going to have a tough time in the Army. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it is a, it, it's a little bit different than, uh, than being a civilian pastor in, in that regard. Well, sir, we, we have kind of an interesting environment where our offices are at in that we share a campus here uh, with the students who are going through their basic course, mm -hmm. and um, their chaplain candidates or their their chaplains getting ready to go to their first units. Uh, if you were standing up in front of all of those Chibolic students and you could give them some advice, what would you tell them? Mm. The funny thing is I have stood in front of those uh, students um, multiple times over the years. My prior assignment here, uh, I was an instructor here, um, so, so I've actually done that multiple times at the Chibolic level and at the C4 level. But this is what I would say if, if, if I had to say it today. The first thing that I would say to them, um, to a new chaplain coming in, is seems very basic, but it's very important. And that is really to understand what a chaplain is. 
I find that the majority of people I talk to, whether they be outside the military or even in the military, even chaplains themselves do not understand what a chaplain actually is. And so people, what they do is because they have an idea in their mind what a chaplain is, they impose that upon the role of a chaplain, and then we, we go haywire from there. So if anybody needs to know what a chaplain is, it would be the chaplain, him or herself, right? And uh, So that's the first thing I would say. Know what a chaplain is. And very simply, it is the combination of two things. A civilian cleric, rightfully recognized by as, uh, a spiritual organization, and a military officer given a rank and grade. You put those two things together, and you have a chaplain. Without either one of them, you do not have a chaplain. No clerical ordination, you're just an army officer. Uh, no army officer, you're just a pastor or imam or a rabbi or a priest. When you put them together, you have a chaplain. Seems very simple, but in terms of identity, it is so, so important. So that, that's one thing I would, um, I would tell them. And then as, a, as, a, as, a, as another layer to that, I would say then embrace that if you want to be a chaplain. And embrace them both equally because they are required to be a chaplain equally, right? So, so you have to um, uh, embrace those things. I would remind clerics um, that are just starting out that the Army, whether it's the Army unit or an Army assignment or an Army chapel, it is not a parish. It is not a church. It is not a mosque. It is not those things. So it's very difficult for all of us, I think, because most of us spend our formative years or at least our educational training in those contexts. And it's very hard sometimes to transition when you become a chaplain and realize, okay, I'm an imam, but I'm not standing in a mosque anymore. I'm standing in a chapel. And so there are some difference, right? I'm a pastor. I'm an evangelist, but I'm not standing in a church, right? So I, I would offer that um, to them. And then probably the one of the last things I would say is, the nurture and care and honor part of a chaplain, we're probably close to the, we're between 95 and 100% on chap, brand new chaplains understanding, nurture, honor, and care. The part of advising a commander, most, you, you have to get that. That has to be, I'm, I never knew as a pastor what that meant. What, what does that mean to advise a commander as a spiritual leader? I have no idea what that, what that meant. You have to learn that when you come into the army. And so I would say that chaplains in the very beginning, before they step foot in a unit, need to know what that looks like and understand how to deliver that. Um, and then, as I said earlier in the podcast, then know there's the science of it and then there's the art of it because every commander is different. Every commander has different expectations. Every commander looks at the chaplain differently. Every commander uses the chaplain differently. Every assignment is going to be different. So how do you stay true to what you should do as an advisor to the commander as a spiritual leader, but be, to use Army terms, be flexible, agile, and adaptive enough to, to manage that with, with every individual leader? And it's not easy. It's not easy. And, you know, that's where, to that supervisory chaplain can be so critical to help that uh, that captain chaplain 
learn how to do that, learn the art and science of that, be a resource to ask questions. I, I know I was fortunate to have some great supervisory chaplains who was a brand new chaplain where were helping me learn, you know, the questions, that, the answers to the questions I didn't even know that I had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I continue to get that every day from people like you, sir, just <laughs> answering questions for me that I didn't even know that I had. Uh, so that, that's so crucial. So we've, uh, we've shared a little bit um, about some books that we've been reading, recommendations. Uh, do you have any books that have been particularly impactful for you that you would recommend to folks? So many, but I would give you an, an oldie but a goodie. Um, and that is, this is one that's, the concepts of this book have been very instrumental to me as I have transitioned from captain to major to lieutenant colonel, hopefully someday to colonel, and then from the um, tactical to the operational to the strategic levels of the Army. And that is a book called um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. It is a phenomenal read. It is not a new book. Um, But basically the premise of the book is that at every level of maturation or growth, we have the tendency to think, well, I got to this level by doing these things, so I will continue to do these things to get to the next level. And it does not work. Because what you will learn over time is that every new level requires new competency, new measures of effectiveness, new efficiencies, requires something new. And so the danger is that you keep repeating what you did at junior levels at senior levels. And it is the downfall of any organization. So that would be a book that I would recommend to people. Um, and, and if I'm being quite honest, I think it is often the, it is a challenge for the chaplain corps. Um, that, that, and let me just do it by rank. So chaplain captains do X, Y, and Z, and they're extremely successful. They're loved by commanders. They're loved by the corps. Uh, their, their performance record reflects it, and they are selected for major. Then what they say is, okay, now, for the last seven or eight years, I've been doing these things, and everybody loves me. I'm going to keep doing those things for the next seven years. But that's not true. Now, as a field grade officer, we need to do totally different things that you didn't have to do as a captain. And then, let's say you figure that out, okay, from major to lieutenant colonel. Okay, now as a lieutenant colonel, we're flipping a new switch for you, guy or gal. We need to do a whole new set of things. And the same thing is true from lieutenant colonel to colonel, colonel, general officer, and so forth and so on. So um, what the book I would recommend is What Got You Here?, won't get you there. Uh, it's a great read. Um, I first found it, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, and I reread it um, uh, occasionally just because it's so it's so powerful. It's got some really good nuggets in there, really good. So I hear you saying that uh, maintaining uh, personal, professional, intellectual curiosity is critical as you go, and that willingness to learn, engage, and grow uh, wherever you're at. Correct. Absolutely. So you've been, like I said earlier, you've been neck deep in the whole transformation thing, which is uh, setting the chaplain corps up for success in the future. So you, you've been thinking a lot about that. So what do you think are some of the, the biggest challenges that are facing the chaplain corps as we look to the future, and, uh, and how can we posture ourselves for success? Great. So um, I th- for me personally, I think there's one answer to this question, and I will um, I won't say I will quote, but I'm largely leaning on what I've heard my chief 
say, my current our current chief of chaplains. And that is simply this, that, again, back to a, a catch doctrinal phrase for the Army, flexible, agile, and adaptive. I think that people of faith, which all chaplains are, right, people of faith, we find some comfort, um, even authority in things not changing. So I'll use myself as an example. So I believe in the Bible. The Bible is a very old book, right? And it's been around for a long time, and it has certain principles. And one of them is that, you know, God doesn't really change. So I find some comfort. I find some authority in that. And what I find for the chaplaincy often is because we all come from similar type of faith backgrounds, we're not always open to change, right? We we kind of have a pretty good routine, a faith-based routine that we bring with us to the Army. I think that's good in the spiritual realm in some ways, maybe not all. That's a whole other podcast as well. But the biggest challenge to the chaplain corps is, are we going to continue to adjust to the changing times, to the changing audience, to the changing constituency, to the changing landscape? Right? Things are not the things are not the same. Everybody's looking at the news now. Everybody's looking at Europe now. Okay? That is different than Afghanistan. It is different than Iraq. It is different than Vietnam. It is different than uh, every other war we've had before. So the army, in order for us to be effective, we have to we have to be at the cutting edge of change. And we have to be less reactive and more predictive. The army does that well. Chaplain Corps needs to also do that. So I think what is the biggest challenge that we face? It is us ourselves. Making sure that we are ready for the next thing. Making sure that we understand technology. Making sure you know, our constituents are between the ages of 18 and 23, 24. So what's going on in their world, right? TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, podcasts, blogs. That's what's going on in their world. So that is the instrument or the delivery vehicle for communication. So I would say that in 2022, whether I like TikTok or not, that I probably need to be leveraging that venue for religious support. The question is, are we doing that? And that's just, that's just those are just technological uh, examples. You know, but are we using smartphones? Because I see one in everybody's hand, including mine right now as I talk to you, right? Um, so maybe we should leverage that platform. So that's what I think the, the biggest thing that is facing us, that we don't become stagnant, that we don't just keep doing what we've been doing, but that we, we, we move as the world moves, as technology moves. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I think it's, it's especially crucial for us as chaplains because, as we've said, we, you know, we tend to be older um, by several years, even our youngest chaplains, than the soldiers that we're serving. Mm-hmm. And so it's really easy for that generation gap to open up but we have to have that agility to stay plugged in to how the culture is communicating um, and how they're uh, how they're building community. If we want to be able to uh, participate in that ourselves, absolutely. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time today, for sitting down with me, um, and and for sharing your stories. Uh, I know that I have benefited. Uh, just from working in the same building as you and you sharing some of your knowledge with me. So it's not just in this podcast, but uh, I'm just thankful for your willingness to share and give of your time uh, in general. So thank you, sir. And thank you for having me. Appreciate it. 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to Chaplain Stories. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, could you share it with your friends and maybe leave a rating or a review wherever you listen? Uh, And I hope you'll join me again next time as we listen to another Chaplain Story. We're marching on.